Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we continue to navigate through the masks, the myths, and the mayhem. This devastating illness has killed thousands around the world, and that number is increasing exponentially. Thank you so much. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. You might be nervous, downright scared. I don't want you to panic. I want you to be prepared. A hoarder is bad. A helper is good. I hope you're doing good for your neighborhood. I don't want chaos. What we need is calm. You can do that with a drop of soap in your palm. I want you to listen to the science, not the sycophants. Good evening and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, part of the group that is most at risk, along with seniors, yes, your granny, people with pre-existing conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and other underlying health conditions like COPD, asthma, and smokers. Given the COVID-19 situation going on, we are facing a most extraordinary time in our country and the world. Through the show, I help you to navigate through the masks, the myths, and the mayhem. This devastating illness has killed thousands around the world in our and in your fine city as well, and that number is increasing exponentially. We need to do so much more than we're already doing to contain and mitigate. We've closed restaurants in many cities. Thank goodness. We've closed parks and non-essential services. We need to test, test, and test. The situation is serious, my friends. So practice social distancing, or let me be clearer than that. Stay at home and only go out to get groceries once a week. Maybe go for a walk in an area that's not very populated. Wash your hands. If you're sick, go to bed. Support your family and friends through social media and the good old phone. Listen to the science, not the politicians who may actually have propaganda and a desire to get elected again. Keep that in mind. There is data to support that individuals in their 20s are most likely to get COVID-19 and have the immunity to handle it. But these are the same people frequenting or who were frequenting the bars and the beaches and playing beer pong, infecting our grandmothers. This virus is likely circulating in your community at a much higher number than we realize. So thank you for being here with me this evening. I hope you learn a few things as we navigate this very scary time together. Remember, community is immunity. I've been fielding tons and tons of questions about this. Remember, this show is not a replacement. What I usually say, it's not a replacement for a visit to your doctor, but this time I want to say... This is not a replacement for a phone call to your doctor because we do not want to overwhelm the medical offices or the emergency rooms. If your symptoms would not have taken you to the emergency department six months ago, you do need you do not need to go tonight. If you have a question for me or there's something you'd like me to cover, feel free to email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com or call me at one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. And I actually have Al from Port Moody, British Columbia on the line. Good evening, Al. Hello. How are you? I'm terrible. Oh, I'm so s- sorry to hear that. They put me in hospital because I have sores on my heels. Because you have what? Sores on my heels. Yeah. And I also go for dialysis in Royal Columbia here. Oh, wow. But the thing is, they're giving me softer and softer beds. Yeah. And I'm getting more disabled and more disabled. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I told the charge nurse, I don't want this bed. They gave me one so-so. They gave me a second one. But nobody will listen to me. 
Yeah, it's very difficult. And at this time, Al, people are really, really challenged and they're really stressed. Um, you know, there may be an opportunity, you know, maybe the time of day that you choose, or maybe you can ask if occupational therapy or physical therapy in the hospital may have a board that they can put under your bed or under your mattress. Um, but if you can just try and be patient and, um, and try and get better as soon as possible. And I, I'm sorry to hear that you are one of the people with pre-existing conditions, a kidney um, condition as well as, um, and it likely what sounds like an infection. And so that's why we have, it's, it's people like you that we have to be extra careful for Al. And so thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story. I hope they get you a better bed and I, um, I hope you get better really soon as well. There are so many people in our society that are suffering right now. And so I want to tell you about an initiative. There's lots of initiatives going on out there to help people. Um, But I want to tell you about one that I'm involved with personally. Uh, It is with Tandem Innovation, and I have Sean Hodgins on the line. He's the CEO of Tandem Innovation. Um, I'm going to be doing a daily podcast about uh, COVID-19, the updates, uh, you know, all your questions questions answered. And uh, Sean is on the line. He's going to tell a little bit more about this hire and help uh, initiative that's going on, COVID19care.ca. Hello, Sean. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Very good. Oh, good. good. All right. Can you tell the listeners about this this, uh, initiative that's going on in the Vancouver area? Yeah, yeah. It's in summary, really three main objectives of, of the program. And, and thank you, Maureen, for stepping up and uh, hosting the first first goal, which is to educate the public in the Vancouver and, and greater BC, Western Canada. Whoever wants to, to uh, listen in is, is the ideal audience because it's a global problem. But the main first objective is to educate through a podcast and daily webinar that we're going to be hosting beginning tomorrow at noon. And that, as you just pointed out, is on is going to all the information on that is going to be on a website covid19care.ca. And the second initiative that has come about uh, in, in very short order, which is really enlightening to see the community step up and come up with ideas to help each other out through these troubling times, is to recruit and hire volunteers, and ideally paid volunteers, because many people are you know, suffering financially, and that's what we're seeing with a lot of, of our clients. Uh, you know, I'm an accountant, and uh, we're seeing the, the repercussions at the business level and the employer-employee situations where with the shutdown, people are hurting financially. So this initiative will allow us to recruit people that might be able to help out with delivering food or prescriptions or um, provide, as you've pointed out, getting on the phone and providing some support to people who are at home, elderly, at-risk people who are concerned. Everyone seems to need to just have a voice uh, to talk to these days. And so this is a way we can help each other and then financially do that as well. And the final thing is to, to we've started a, um, a GoFundMe campaign where people who have the financial means can support this initiative and um, contribute even a little bit to the fund, and we will oversee and um, look after making sure it's distributed to those volunteers who are stepping up. 
And the other thing I want to say that some of the information that's going to be on the uh, podcast is like pharmacy information, for example, because we have Greystone's uh, Pharmasave out in Burnaby, British Columbia, who's involved. And uh, for example, I had a patient the other day and I said to her, just this particular medication um, that I said, just go and have the prescription refilled. And so I learned something here. She went to the pharmacy and they said, no, we can't, we cannot refill your prescription because it has expired. So if your prescription has expired, pharmacists cannot renew that prescription. That was a a law that has been changed in British Columbia. And so you have to make sure that your prescription is up to date. Uh, But information like that is going to be coming from a pharmacist. There's also going to be information about um, unemployment insurance and evictions and some of the legal issues that people are facing. So it's really a a multitude of information and, and experts that will be coming on this podcast and sharing their knowledge and their understanding as things change, which they are seemingly doing rapidly. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, Maureen, thanks for hosting that daily. And and as you've alluded to, we can invite, there's a lot of grassroots initiatives that have started up. Um, Tomorrow is um, Miguel Lopez Diaz, who's the pharmacist and owner in the Burnaby Pharmacave. And he's going to be talking about those prescription issues and best practices. I'll be on myself talking about issues related to employer. The government has stepped up with some initiatives to support. There's a variety of them. And then um, and then Cody Cush, who is actually an impetus for this, setting up this program from Live Your Life Home Care, who's been fielding these phone calls for people who are remote and looking, you know, don't want to leave their homes, but need, obviously, the necessities. So there's a bunch of excellent initiatives. And thank you, Maureen, for stepping up and oh. No, no thanks, necessarily. I've, I've done very little. Um, but I do want to say that um, we have already helped um, people. There was a nurse who couldn't afford her nursing license, and so we had actually had enough money to actually pay for that. And we also had somebody else who uh, needed to pay her hydro bill or was going to be turned off. This was before some of the changes that the government um had actually enacted and also uh, somebody who was worried about being evicted. So we were able to share information that um, around the new um, inability for people to evict um, because of uh, this COVID-19. So it's information, it's help, it's support, it's, uh, it's, it's so much. And so whatever you feel you can contribute, if you're um, if you'd love to contribute $5, $10, or even a million dollars, like we would really take that million dollars, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be very financially strapped for everyone. So it's good to see that the government stepped up and there are some programs available. There's a couple of our clients that, that aren't going to be, that, that have stepped up financially. I'd like to thank Solution Financial for one that I'm involved with that, mm-hmm. uh, that is looking to do that. And I, I think that's the issue is that the companies out there that, you know, they're obviously going to have to deal with uh, this rough time. But, um, you know, there, there are people with the financial means that are stepping up. There are volunteers that are stepping up. And I think if we all... We all contribute as a society. I think it'll, it'll come out for the best here in the long run. I agree. And I think, um, you know, something I'd love to see is that uh, whether it be big businesses, big businesses who've done extremely well, 
um, across these provinces in the last uh, decade in particular. I'm not inflicting guilt. Yes, I am. Um, maybe step up and maybe a private-public partnership in terms of testing, because I think it's really important that we uh, expand the testing and actually um, of, of COVID-19 and do maybe some drive-through testing. And so I think it's very, very important um, that we hit this with everything that we've got. And if you're interested in getting the economy going, the, the faster we flatten the curve, the, flas- the faster, and, and when we flatten the curve, when I say that, what I mean is we're going to reduce the surge of Um, We're going to lower that bell curve, if you will, in terms of the number of cases. So we're going to have fewer cases over a longer period of time. And then that way our healthcare system can deal with it. And that's why it's so important to stay at home, wash your hands, physically distance yourself, do whatever you can to help your neighbors. And believe me that even though you may not be able to see your neighbors, that's being extremely helpful to your neighbors. So, Sean Hodgins, thank you so much for getting this initiative going. I really appreciate it, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Marie. You are very welcome. And well, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Sean. And yeah. so that website is covid19care.ca. All right, so we're going to continue this COVID conversation when I come back. I am Maureen McGrath. We're going to review that little self-assessment. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, hosting this program for you. We're talking lots about COVID-19, but I'm also trying to shake it up a little bit. And we'll be talking about relationships, sex a little bit later. But right now we're talking about the immune system, uh, but not before isolation with my next guest, Dr. David G. Harper. Good evening, David. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Maureen. How are you doing? Kind of a crazy week, huh? A bit crazy, absolutely. Now, what day are you on um, for isolation? Uh, I'm on day seven, so I've got one more week to go, but then, you know, I just go from kind of quarantine to self-isolation anyway. Right, right. So tell (laughs) the listeners why you have, uh, why you're in self-isolation. Yeah, so I was uh, at a conference, uh, the Low Carb Denver conference a week ago. I gave a presentation on Saturday, so when I got home on the Sunday, uh, I'm required to be in a 14-day, it's essentially a quarantine, uh, self-isolation uh, at home, so I can't go out or do anything. So, uh, and I'm staying uh, uh, apart from my wife and co-author of our book. Uh, I'm in one room. Fortunately, we have an apartment that has two bedrooms. So the the <laughs> my, my so you're in doubles. separate bedrooms now. We're in, yeah. Sadly, it's a little hard. It's a little hard in the sex life. So <laughs> I can imagine, but you know, there's remote control toys for that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, okay. uh, you know, to be honest with you, though, you bring up a, a great point. Um, but you know, all of a sudden masturbation is the new black (laughs) masturbation is cool. We've removed the shroud of shame, the cultural shroud, the cultural condom off of masturbation and self-stimulation. Anyway, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the program, but right now, uh, we're going to talk about immunity and how the immune system works. And Mm -hmm. the reason, and and I know you're brilliant and you have a PhD and everything, you know, you're basic brainiac. Um, so I'm not, uh, and so I'd like for you to, but the listeners, are. Um, I'd like for you to explain this sort of in the, if you will, the Fisher Price version so I can understand. (laughs) (laughs) But keeping it simple so that people can understand, uh, with all due respect, um, just that their immune systems, you know, work for them and how they work for them and then how they can improve their immune systems. Um, 
Yes. So if, if you don't mind, I know I've given you no warning for that. But anyway, I know you can handle it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. Because uh, as, you, as you know, and I guess uh, from previous weeks, uh, the listeners probably know I'm a health educator. Uh, I work at the University of the Fraser Valley in the kinesiology department, and I, I teach health courses. So one of the things we look at both, uh, you know, sort of first year and fourth year level is, is um, infections and how your immune system uh, helps to prevent uh, those infections from causing harm. Um, so you can think of, um, kind of view this as kinds of different lines of defense. So, so the very first line of defense your body has, and you have to remember that the world is full of bacteria and fungus and viruses, and you know, in fact, our, our, our cells, uh, there are very few virus-free cells in our bodies. Uh, almost all of our cells have viruses in them, but they, they're benign. They don't do anything to us, uh, and, and they just kind of live with us. But every once in a while, you'll get something that can cause an illness, and we call those pathogenic. So, so we have the, the first line of defense are what we call the surface barriers, which includes your skin and your mucous membranes and, and also the secretions from them, like in your eyes and the like. And the idea there is to prevent anything that does come in contact, which it does, um, from getting in because that's a protective barrier. So that's why it's also so important to wash your hands because you're, you're essentially washing the pathogens off of, uh, off of the outside of that surface barrier. Um, but occasionally uh, things get in, and, and uh, in particular viruses and bacteria and fungus. And uh, they get in through kind of the weaknesses in that first line of defense, which, which, which would be often when we breathe things in or when we touch our, our eyes, you know, and, and the um, fluid in your eyes, you know, those tears, they drain into your nasal passages, which is why when you're crying, you know, you get the sniffles. And now, then, Dave, of course, I just have a quick question for sure. you on that. I've received a question from a listener. Sure. Um, hi, Maureen. Two questions here. Um, we have been told repeatedly, and I just want to say the virus enters the body through the nose, the mouth, or the eyes, so we've been told repeatedly to avoid touching our face. I wear prescription glasses for distance, and I constantly need to adjust it, e.g. to look at the price of an item while shopping. Will this pose a risk to me? Uh, well, as long as you don't touch your, you know, your eyes or your nose or your mouth, those mucous membranes are, are, the, are the, uh, the, the susceptible places. So, you know, what I do every day is I just um, take those, uh, sanit- those uh, cleaning cloths, you know, those, those uh, bleach cloths, and I wipe off my glasses anyway because I know I'm touching those. And every once in a while you make a mistake and kind of poke yourself in the eye or whatever. And um, so, so, no, as long as you're not touching those areas, it should be okay. But we, we're, we're apes, and unfortunately apes touch their faces all the time. Um, and so we're, we do it when we're, we're not even conscious of it. And, and, uh, you know, if you catch yourself doing it, it's too late because you've already touched yourself. So it's really in the eyes, the nasal passages and, and the mouth. And then if something gets in there, it tends to get back into the throat. And as you know, the throat can go down into the digestive tract or into the respiratory tract. So, uh, viruses, um, which are different than bacteria, bacteria are actually living organisms, fungus are living organisms, Viruses are kind of on that funny edge. They're, they're made of the same kind of organic compounds as our cells, but they're not cells. They're, they're, they're a little bit of um, genetic material called DNA or RNA, and the COVID-19 is an RNA virus surrounded by a little bit of protein. Um, and what they do is they, they, they get into our system, they get into our cells, and then they hijack the cell's reproductive machinery. So instead of making normal cell components, they now start making viruses which usually ends up killing that host cell, and then they, it, it sort of pops, and then those viruses all go to neighboring cells and do the same kind of damage. So, so the 
second line of defense then we have against that is 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 what we call the innate immune system which is really a series of cells like uh, white blood cells special ones called macrophages and so on um that they're non-specific, which means it'll identify. It won't identify specifically anything. It'll, it'll prevent any of those things: viruses, bacteria, fungus, from causing damage. And they do that through a series of special uh, chemicals they release, and also uh, the cells communicate with one another to to kind of warn them that there's something coming. So you've probably heard of interferon, which is one of these warning signals that goes from a cell that's been vir- virally infected to the neighboring cell to say, hey, look out, uh, there's a virus in here, so protect yourself. But it's my understanding with COVID-19 that the immune system doesn't recognize the this particular virus as a danger immediately. Is that correct? Well, not really, because it'll... In a sense, it does, and that's the whole idea that it's novel. So we, so there's nothing. It's never. None of us have ever been exposed to it before. So we don't have any sort of pre-prepared antibodies, which is the third line of defense uh, to help us out. So it's, so it, it, it's kind of a new invader. We don't really know what to make of it. So we do have uh, an innate response. Um, the receptors on the cells are, are a special type of receptor that we've identified that, that allows the virus to get into the cells. And, um, and actually that interferon helps prevent that from, to, for some, to some degree. Um, but, you know, it, that, so that's the second line of defense. And if that doesn't work, then, and that's a very rapidly responding defense system. The third one is a fantastic microbiology lab biotech lab, essentially, that's in all of our bodies, which is what we call the adaptive immune system or the specific immune system. And that will identify the exact chemical structure of this virus, and it'll produce antibodies, um, which will go and attack it and kind of neutralize it and make those viruses tasty to the white blood cells to come and eat them and so on. The problem with that adaptive immune system is it takes a few days before it gets ramped up. And uh, you'll notice it being ramped up because that's when you get, we call them swollen glands. They're actually swollen lymph nodes, like in your neck and so on. So those are, that's a good sign. That means your adaptive immune system is working and it's starting to produce those antibodies that are going to go. And they will, they will clear your system. Um, uh, and, and for most people, as we've seen with COVID-19 too, that's pretty much what happens. And some people have almost no symptoms. Some people have cold symptoms. Some people have flu-like symptoms. And then some people, um, particularly people that are susceptible, have, you know, immune uh, suppression or they have a, a lung issue. Um, you know, smokers are at higher risk. They, they, they um, don't have the same ability to, they don't have the same sort of uh, power to that adaptive immune system. So, so the virus spreads further and when it does react what happens is some of that reaction of the immune system actually damages the very respiratory cells it's trying to try to protect. And then you get pneumonia, which is a fluid uh, building up in the lungs. And that's what can, obviously, if there's fluid in your lungs, then you can't exchange oxygen with the air. So, so that's where you might need to, to have some help at the hospital if you have any trouble breathing. That's why it's so important for people out there. You know, if you have any trouble breathing. If you have a fever in particular and you have trouble breathing, then you need medical care because it probably means you're starting to get pneumonia. And they've actually found that um, that people that even if they're asymptomatic, if they do a scan of their lungs, they'll find they actually do have pneumonia, even though they, they feel totally fine. So, so it's a very, very um, sort of uh, important uh, medical intervention is needed at that point. 
I'm trying to keep you informed with evidence-informed or evidence-based information. Lots of information is coming at us left, right, and center. Uh, Tim, my tech producer here this evening, has just informed me that uh, New York City is reporting a death an hour. Um, this is getting incredibly sad, um, and it's, it's so, so very serious. And, and we can look to those places like Italy and New York City to see what's coming for us here in Western Canada, and particularly cities like Vancouver, which is a hot spot, which is why I have invited on the program tonight Dr. Gurdeep Parhar. He's on the line with me. He is a family physician in the greater Vancouver area. He's also a professor at the University of British Columbia, uh, multi-talented, multifaceted, here to answer your questions. Uh, the number to call is one 399 Good evening, Dr. Parhar. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you for uh, having me on. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on my show. And I do want to mention to the Vancouver listeners that you are um, answering questions uh, week, uh, daily on the Linda Steele show. And is that still at 3.30 in the afternoon, PST? Yes, we, yes we've been trying to do it right after um, Dr. Bonnie Henry's sort okay. of daily update. Um, so it's about, uh, about 3.30 or so. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for that great work. Um, so you and I have been kind of chatting since 6.30 this morning <laughs> after my time with Sterling Fox on the air because neither one of us sleep. But sleep is really important in terms of uh, building your immune system. But something I wanted to talk to you about um, were the symptoms around uh, COVID-19. And um, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got an email right here that I'm going to run by you. Um, and then after that, we've talked a lot about cold symptoms and coughs, dry coughs and shortness of breath and fever. Um, but I do have a uh, message here. Hi, Maureen. I have a 47-year-old son who has smoked his entire adult life, regular cigarettes mainly. He tells me he has a head cold the past few days, has some achiness, then a runny nose, sore throat, and says his swollen glands are going down now and are less sore. He feels much better, sounds normal. Would this appear to be a regular head cold or could it be COVID-19? I encouraged him to phone 811, but I'm sure he didn't. He lives in um, one of the Western provinces. Um, the 811 lines, I know that they have been jammed, but can you uh, talk to the other um, uh, other symptoms and her question, please, Dr. Parhar? Sure, and, and I think it's important to try to separate these a little bit. So if I can just go back. So when we think about a cold, and all, all of us have had colds, we think of having a stuffy or runny nose, a sore throat, maybe some sneezing, and that's typically it. So if you have the sore throat, stuffy nose, a bit of that head cold, sore throat, then as, uh, as, as you're probably frustrated to have a cold, the good news is it's probably just a cold. Now when we think about a flu or the influenza, with that, the hallmarks are, yes, there can be a fever, and we're going to talk about fever when we talk about COVID-19. So there can be a fever, um, and there can be um, uh, muscle aches and chills. And that's the big distinguishing feature is that with the with the flu, uh, influenza, usually you do get the muscle aches and you get the chills and you have a fever. The distinguishing feature was COVID-19, and um, I'm going to add to what we've been saying, but what we have been saying is there's a fever and a cough, 
And a third symptom that the World Health Organization is saying to watch for is difficulty breathing. Um, so just from that brief description of um, your caller's um, uh, son's symptoms, it, it, they on the surface would sound more like a flu. Now here's the caution. It doesn't mean that if you have a cold or a flu that you can't also get COVID-19 either at the same time or around the same time. So I would still um, exercise an abundance of caution and keep watching for other symptoms. But just from the short description there, it sounds like it's more likely a, a cold at this stage. So your mother doesn't have to worry about you. Peace of mind is one of the greatest gifts that you can give a mother. Uh, <laughs> little and message. I, and, I'm, and, and I'm pretty sure mothers don't stop worrying about us, so, so I'm no. not sure if that cared it. <laughs> exactly. Peace of mind is the best gift you can give a mother, especially to boys. I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> I, I also want to say we're talking so much about, uh, well, I do want to say in this, that interesting, um, if you were listening just earlier to David G. Harper, we were talking about how uh, when you're glands swell, it shows that your immune system is is working and fighting the infection. So, um, But recently, we're talking lots about cough and fever and shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. Um, but there's a study from the American Journal of Gastroenterology reveals that diarrhea is a prominent symptom of COVID-19. We haven't been hearing about that too much. Can you elaborate a little bit on that study? So, yes, and even to go back a bit, Maureen, this is an evolving um, sort of knowledge base. So we started with what we knew and all the symptoms that were coming out of China. The one really good um, thing that happened with all the cases that were in China is that a lot of the researchers there have been now presenting what their experience has been, both with treatment and the symptoms. So it was just published on March 20th, so just late last week in the in the Journal of Gastroenterology, was, the, was around um, gastrointestinal symptoms. And what they found was that a good good percentage of people not not remember that these were people that didn't just have mild covid these are ones that ultimately ended up presenting to the hospital so probably they were a little bit sicker than the mild cases that perhaps didn't end up going to the hospital like in british columbia right now but you're absolutely right what they found and that was a bit of a surprise is that there were digestive um, symptoms for a good percentage of the patients that they had studied and the symptoms that they found that were in the digestive um, area the first most prominent of symptoms at 84%. There's about 200 people that they studied who, who were confirmed cases of COVID-19. Um, about half of them actually had anorexia, or the other term for that is a decreased appetite. Mm-hmm. So you might say, well, that's a bit confusing because when you're not feeling well, you're not as hungry. So that's kind of a vague one, but decreased appetite was the predominant symptom. Then diarrhea in about a third. Um, and then in uh, then less to lesser amounts, um, vomiting and abdominal pain. But the two big sort of gastrointestinal symptoms were decreased appetite and diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the, here's the important part, is that if somebody had gastrointestinal symptoms and didn't have the cough and the fever, and when we're telling people to wait for the cough and the fever, the people with just this, those um, abdominal symptoms didn't actually end up getting attention because that's not what we're asking people to watch for. That's right. Now, the other, the other important point is that people who had the digestive, digestive system symptoms, they actually ended up getting more sick um, than the ones who didn't. And perhaps that, that's because they took longer to come to the hospital or maybe there's something else going on. Or maybe they were dehydrated too from that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult to explain that. But but I guess what it does for our knowledge base now is as much as we've been saying over the last few weeks, you know, look for fever, um, cough, and difficulty breathing. I think our our index of suspicion is that we're going to be also looking at digestive symptoms as well. Um, Now, you know, 
just because you have some diarrhea or just because you have decreased appetite doesn't mean it's COVID-19, but we will be thinking about COVID-19 rather than saying it's definitely not COVID-19. Exactly. I have John on the line, Dr. Parhar. John from Bonnyvale. Hello, John. Uh, hi, Maureen. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing? Well, I'm uh, curious. I've been watching uh, quite a bit of information here about uh, the virus, and I sure understand uh, you know, the importance of it because, you know, it's killing that segment of society that's really, really vulnerable. My dad's in there Aww. and I'm not going to see, you know, just to be on a safe side. But, you know, being a person that reads lots of science literature and watching documentaries, I got the uh, Netflix pandemic and then I saw CNN's uh, rebroadcast from 1917. So the information I'm looking for, and I wanted to ask uh, your other guest there, but I didn't have the right phone number and maybe the doctor and yourself can shed some light on this it's important and yes it is but it's what um, you know i'm thinking a two 2.5 percent death rate which is serious enough but when i've looked back at some of the information from 1918 i mean that uh, percentage was what was it maureen about 60 percent 70 percent 1918 uh, you know i'd have to check to be honest with you your your, your number is probably more reliable than mine well, what they said there on the CNN broadcast uh-huh. was they used 40 million worldwide, and if it was at today's rate, okay. it would have been 200 million. Okay, so the point I'm trying to get at is, what is the likelihood of this virus, or for that matter, if the doctor or your previous guest could help, the, the percentage, or even just a ballpark of it mutating into a deadlier form? Because that's one of the characteristics that I'm aware of with these viruses is they can mutate into airborne and a more virulent strain uh, with a higher mortality rate. And that's what I'm looking for because, to me, the cat's out of the bag. It's a silent type of a thing, and it's mm-hmm. got a 12-day, you know, you're, we're behind by 12 days, right? So my wife works at uh, Asobi's, and she's in the last five days, she's seen probably uh, a 1,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to congregate in a place where they're having a hard time keeping the six feet in between and you have hundreds of people, you know, shoulder to shoulder almost, people are trying, you know, it's going to happen. And if you don't know that those four or five people in a store have it and are contagious and they don't have any symptoms, it's a hot spot. I think they should have, uh, you know, uh, I think you just... Common- Go ahead. Yeah, so what is the percentage do you think or can he think would be a ballpark of it's mutating into a deadlier strain? Well, I do think that you just did a PSA for uh, testing, testing, testing. I think we need to uh, start a robust and very extensive testing program in Canada, perhaps drive-through testing. I'll let Dr. Parhar take your other question. Yeah, it was a, a good question. And maybe even just to take a step back, as much as you're worried about this uh, COVID-19 um, virus that we're dealing with right now as becoming more serious if it mutates, I think it's pretty serious already. Um, certainly mm-hmm. it can mutate. And then the question becomes, if you get it once, is it, are you immune from getting it again? We're not sure. It's just too early to be able to tell that. But sure, certainly if we find a vaccine and the vaccine treats only one strain of it, will it provide immunity against other sort of forms or mutated forms? So it's too early to tell, and we can't say that right now. But just in terms of emphasizing how serious this is when you're comparing it to, you know, could it get more serious, just to remind you, if even if we compare it to the flu, um, the hospitalization rate for the regular 
common flu that happens every year is about 2%, whereas with COVID-19, it's 19%. So that's already about 10 times more. And in terms of its infectiousness, which is how easily is it passed on from one person to another, we use um, a number of 1.3 for the flu and about 2 to 2.5, so um, almost double for the COVID-19. And here's the really scary part, is the fatality rate, so the likelihood of dying of getting influenza, and obviously it's different for different age groups, but dying of a flu is 0.1%, whereas the mortality rate with COVID-19, depending on which country, we think it's between 1% and 3.4%, um, so in the vicinity of about 2%. So this is already a very significant and worrisome infection, and I think you touched on it already. One of the main issues is that nobody has immunity to this, um, and and we, we just no, nobody has built up immunity. There wasn't a similar type of virus that we could say we have, that had some immunity that overlaps with with this COVID-19, and and so that's that's the other reason. So when it mutates, yes, definitely it may get more problematic to manage. But I think that we've got enough of a problem even with the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to say is there's a much higher ventilatory support rate. So people require being on a quote unquote respirator um, at much higher rates um, than um, the regular population. So people with COVID-19. So that's another, um, you know, fuel to add to this fire. Um, John, but you know, I just hope your wife stays safe. You know, there are time. There's times to mandate. Um, you know, staying apart, six feet apart, put drawing the lines. I've heard that there's companies that are willing to come in and put down, um, you know, taped lines to educate people. People don't know. There's some people that don't believe this. Some people think that it's, you know, that it's all, you know, cons- they have a conspiracy theory around this. So, I mean, I think we need to take these measures. And I think you've you've made a lot of points. Life is going on, and people are panicking, people are hoarding, and um, and it's negatively impacting those we love and care about and live with. And putting extra stress, Maureen, on people who have to comp- keep restocking those shelves and provide those services. Absolutely, right? um, absolutely. Puts extra work on everybody. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show, the final segment here. Uh, Many people are suffering because of lost jobs, loneliness, those who've been diagnosed with COVID-19, those facing discrimination, worried that they're going to give it to somebody else, women and children at greater risk of neglect and abuse. Joining me on the line is Brita McLaughlin. She is a uh, certified co-active life coach and a mentor and trainer and a licensed relationship coach. Brita, I'm sure in your practice you've seen um, so many people suffering with this, um, what are some of the things that people can do right now? What's some of your advice? Mm, hey, Maureen, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you. You know, this really is a call uh, for people. It's, it's a call to humanity. It's a call to rise in your humanity, to arise in your skills for empathy um, and for self-regulation. Um, you know, I'm seeing... Um, there's been almost an epidemic of anxiety over the last couple of years. It's turned into a pandemic itself with COVID, and there's a chance for us uh, to do something about that. So that's the good news. The good news is a lot of people talking about anxiety out there, and so we're getting that conversation started, and we can start to uh, fill people in on what they can do. Um, and really what that, that conversation starts with us being really, really aware um, of what we're worried about and, and that we are actually worrying and, and how do we do that? Um, we do that by becoming really observant of what we're thinking. And uh, anxiety is a state of mind. It's really just a loop of worry thoughts and, and we've all had it. No one's immune to it. 
and um, you'll, you'll you'll start to hear those thoughts. And also, uh, often they're sort of forecasting into the future, and they're coming from a place of hopelessness or powerlessness. Um, all sorts of, of thoughts. I can't do this. What can I do? As Les was saying, I feel I, I feel powerless. I can't do anything about this. And or sort of future catastrophizing thoughts like. You know, I've had so many clients concerned. They're, they're working, their kids are at home, they're worried they're going to get sick, they're not going to have care for them. They've got elderly parents who are stuck in, in, uh, you know, in seniors' homes that they can't access. They're worried they're not going to have the appropriate care. But the point is, is that they are forecasting into the future. What we can do uh, today to be part of that solution is to really control what we can control in this situation. And that is ourselves, and that is our response to this. And how do we do that? We hear the thoughts in our minds. We take a step back, and we notice that loop of worry and those thoughts that are running through our minds. And rather than collapsing into them and taking them for the verbatim truth, you know, there's an old saying a lot of people have heard, which is don't believe everything you think. Hear those thoughts, and rather than collapsing into them, take a step back and name them. So it's an easy two-step process. Notice those thoughts and name them. Hey, that's my anxiety talking. Hey, that's my worry talking. Just by naming it, you will loosen its grip on you. So that's the very first step is to step away from that. Secondly, to reframe that thought. And, you know, I think something Chris Hatfield said today, you know, one of Canada's beloved astronauts, he said to, you know, really stick with the facts. Don't go to automatic fear. Our brains are naturally trained in the stress response to, to go to, you know, fear triggers that stress response. And we're going to go to that. So what we want to be able to do is notice it and instead step back from it and then check it out. Figure out what your facts are, find out what your risks are, and do whatever you can in your special circumstances to mitigate them. Secondly, manage your emotions. And how do we do that? Several ways. First of all, you know, we can reframe our thoughts. When we're in worry mode, and of course everybody is, I have worry. You know, I have this mild, you know, things that come up, worrying about my son. My, you know, I have two, you know, two grandmothers in our family are in, 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 in care. I have a brother with disability in care. We can't get to them. So, of course, there's these concerns that come up. What do we do? A couple of things. This is a really great um a couple of breathing exercises and a couple of mindfulness exercises. So if you're noticing that you're feeling very, very stressed and anxiety's got a hold of you, how will you know that? First of all, you'll have the worry thoughts, as I mentioned, and you can step back from that. Sometimes we're sort of too far gone. And if your stress level's sort of near panic, you know, sort of what your fear would be sort of at a 9 at a 10, you'll know that as well. And why? Because, you know, you'll have physical symptoms. Um, you know, your, your chest might feel tight. Your, your neck will feel stressed. Some people get sort of a, uh, they describe a physical sensation of kind of electrical currents running down their arms and their legs, or they'll have a shortness of breath. That just means that your body thinks it's in danger, and it's mobilizing to protect you. Brita, and, yes. this is excellent information, I, and I'm going to have to bring you back next week, um, but I, we're up against the clock here and the end of the show. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Oh, they can email me, Brita Mick, B-R-I-T-A-M-C at Shaw.ca, 
or info at BritaMcLaughlinCoaching.com. They can go on Instagram, Brita underscore McLaughlin. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.